focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, they usually join us uh, as a group every Tuesdays. Now, it's, I guess it's Thursdays now. We're talking about Kwanzawa and Chejihi joining us in the studio. Guys, welcome back. Hi, guys. Good evening. I was actually going to say, everyone who were used to seeing T and me on Tuesday, please tune in on Thursday. <laughs> Not Tuesday anymore. <laughs> I mean, you have to tune in on Tuesday too, and of Mondays course, of and course. Wednesdays. I'm and, sorry, but I mean, <laughs> and Fridays. I mean, uh, sh- sure. I, I guess we have like fans of Soanji, the the Sochi couple. But uh, uh, yeah, tune in every day, but especially if you want to tune in for Soanji <laughs> on Thursdays from now on. Uh, guys, we're gonna start things off with some Korea Peninsula related issues this time. The U.S. in a recent report says that North Korea has no intention to stop its nuclear development ambitions and uh, also imposing huge threats to Washington and its allies. So are you going to start us off with the details of this? Right. This is the annual threat assessment report by the Director of National Intelligence, which has been published on Thursday local time. It evaluates threats to the U.S.'s national security posed by countries like North Korea, China, Russia, Iran, but also threats like climate change, and not only to the U.S., but uh, also to other parts of the world. Now, U.S. Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines presented the assessment at a Senate hearing on Wednesday, which is suggesting the likeliness of a nuclear test by North Korea. Haines said the North is probably preparing for a nuclear device test to facilitate what the North calls its tactical nuclear operations. In its roughly two pages long part on North Korea, the report said that regime leader Kim Jong-un is continuing to enhance his country's nuclear capabilities that are targeting the U.S. and its allies. Kim's intention is described as aiming to reshape the regional security environment and be recognized as a nuclear state power. Thus, he is not at all looking to abandon his nuke programs, uh, neither his intercontinental ballistic missiles. Uh, The report said, in fact, quote, Kim almost certainly views nuclear weapons and ICBMs as the ultimate guarantor of his autocratic rule. Citing North Korea's numerous military actions since September 2022, the DNI report sees these as an attempt to, quote, coerce the U.S. and South Korea to change their behavior and counteract South Korean President Yoon's hardline policies toward the North. The assessment also had a rundown on the North's latest military capabilities as well as its cyber crime programs. The findings suggest that the North may have the expertise to cause disruptions to important infrastructure and business networks in the U.S. You know, we've been talking about this over the past uh, year or so. I think one of the things that North Korea has really learned uh, from the war in Ukraine is that Russia, the reason why, again, Russia is hard to kind of approach uh, from the Western allies of Ukraine is because they have all these nuclear weapons, right? So it's a nuclear deterrence. That's the big problem. And so I think North Korea, knowing that in order to kind of survive in an era where it seems like everyone is trying to uh, isolate North Korea and do this to uh, in, the, in the region, they're not going to give up their nuclear weapons. And mm. from what I understand, before uh, Kim Jong-il passed away, uh, one of the things that he had asked uh, Kim Jong-un to promise is there was, I think, three things that he had promised. Well, number one was, uh, don't do anything to your half-brother Kim Jong-nam. Obviously, that, that 
something did happen to him. Uh, the other being, don't let go of the nuclear weapons. Continue to develop your nuclear weapons. Don't let you know. Don't not don't get rid of it. Is basically mm-hmm. what the the gist of it is. And it seems like that at least that part, uh, Kim Jong Un is going to. Listen, and uh, the big question of whether or not there's going to be the seventh nuclear test, we'll have to find out. Well, the U.S. State Department also announcing that it'll be creating a new consultative body on nuclear deterrence with South Korea and Japan by using all possible measures there. Uh, Jay, let's hear more on this. Well, the U.S. Department of State spokesperson Ned Price said during a press briefing on Monday that the country will continue to strengthen uh, its trilateral cooperation with South Korea and Japan. Now, this announcement uh, came shortly after Seoul and Tokyo decided to uh, improve their bilateral ties. And also when Ned Price was asked uh, to confirm whether the United States has made an offer to the two allies to establish this new trial consultative body they were talking about uh, in regards to the nuclear deterrence. Price answered by saying our extended deterrence commitment to Japan and the RK is ironclad and that uh, they have taken every opportunity they have to deepen and to make real uh, to ensure that they've made real the extended deterrence commitments that they have. Uh, That's the quote from Ned Price. And Adding on, he said the U.S. will continue to work with South Korea, Japan, and other uh, related partners and allies to once again strengthen deterrence and to work to limit the advancement of North Korea's uh, weapons programs. Now, Japan's Yomiuri Shimbun uh, has earlier reported that the U.S. has approached Japan and South Korea to create a new consultative body on nuclear deterrence to enhance information sharing and other matters, and explained that the body is aimed at securing South Korea and Japan's trust in the U.S. extended deterrence commitment, including what they call the quote-unquote nuclear umbrella as well. Uh, While the article reported the Japanese government is considering accepting this proposal and that South Korea is also believed to be uh, thinking about the idea from a positive stance, according to sources. A South Korean high-level official stated that nothing has really been delivered to the South Korean side regarding this trilateral consultative body. But we do have now information after some reports having come out. We have, it's going to be a very busy uh, few months for President Yoon Sagar. We know now that the South Korea-Japan summit, uh, which is supposed to be slated for this month, this has been finalized. We got some information on that as well. Right. So President Yoon Seok-yeol, uh, upon the invitation of the Japanese government, will be visiting Japan from the 16th to the 17th this month uh, to hold a summit with Prime Minister Kishida Fumio. Uh, this will be the first since 2011 for the president to visit the neighboring country. So it will be the first such visit in 12 years after Seoul announced the plan to end uh, this dispute over wartime for his slave with Japan. And on Monday, uh, the government said that its companies would compensate victims of forced labor under Japan's colonial rule, seeking to end any dispute that has undercut uh, U.S.-led efforts to present a unified front against China and North Korea. And the presidential office said in a statement, President Yoon will hold a summit meeting with Japanese Prime Minister, uh, calling it, quote-unquote, an important milestone in the improvement and development of relations between South Korea and Japan. We're going to go back to talking about uh, North Korea once again because the U.S. and South Korea held talks earlier this week 
on how to deal with Pyongyang's illicit cyber activities. Uh, what's been discussed on that front so well? Right. Working-level talks were held in Washington Tuesday local time, the third of its kind, focusing on North Korea's cyber threats. Seoul's foreign ministry announced on Wednesday that the two allies agreed to bolster joint investigations on the North's cyber activities and also punish the country with additional sanctions as it appears to be diversifying its illicit cyber activities. Now, as I earlier mentioned, uh, those have also been mentioned in the DNI threat assessment report. And as it's widely believed, illicit funds are usually funneled into North Korea's nuclear and missile programs. What Washington and Seoul want to counter in particular seems to be the uh, Pyongyang cyber crimes in the form of cryptocurrency theft. Reports by South Korea and the U.S. assess Pyongyang as having made significant headway in a number of cryptocurrency heist cases by freezing and seizing assets stolen by North Korean players in the field. Uh, South Korea's foreign ministry said in a statement that uh, the two allies, Seoul and Washington, discussed concrete ways uh, to halt Pyongyang's illicit cyber activities, such as cryptocurrency theft and as well as overseas deployment of North Korean information technology workers, which have become a major source of hard currency for the North Korean regime, which means for the nuclear and missile development. Uh, Countermeasures that Seoul and Washington are considering... um, include an expansion of cooperation in the private public sector, as well as issuing joint advisories on the North's cyber threats. According to the foreign ministry, the officials saw eye to eye on that joint efforts have helped in raising global awareness on Pyongyang's illicit activities and have also sent a clear warning to the Kim Jong-un regime. And speaking of uh, those um, advisories, just last month, a joint advisory on ransomware attacks was issued and Seoul had also imposed independent sanctions. Yeah, I believe uh, earlier this week, uh, Washington released a report on uh, some of the biggest threats of cyber activity and they had the top four countries uh, and they said it was China, North Korea, Russia and Iran and uh, not only for cryptocurrency theft but also they were known to have used hacking and uh, cyber activities to kind of influence uh, U.S. elections is what they said. And so we live in now in an era where everything is very much digitalized and, uh, you know, technology uh, based and stuff like that. And so this is why the U.S. has been pushing for uh, further security on the uh, been pushing for cybersecurity is what I should be saying here. Let's move on here. This time, South Korea's Trade Minister An Dae-kun said on Wednesday that there are concerns over the U.S.'s Chips and Science Act as it may require too much information exchange for U.S. government subsidies. Let's hear more on what he had to say. Ji, you have more on this. Right. So after arriving in Washington on his three-day visit, Trade Minister An said regarding this issue of the chip with uh, chips with the U.S. that he would make sure the conditions which are unique to South Korea's industry could be reflected fully to the U.S. Chips Act. Now, An said he plans to discuss such concerns with his U.S. counterparts during his visit. And An told reporters uh, the two governments of South Korea and the U.S. and their industrial sectors have been working together uh, to build a semiconductor supply chain. But there now exist concerns because of the recently published details of this Chips and Science Act of the United States. Now, last week, the details of the U.S. chips were introduced 
uh, it were introduced, and it said up to 52.7 billion U.S. dollars in subsidies with the tax incentives will be provided to chip makers who set up production facilities in the U.S. Also, those that receive the subsidies will be prohibited from uh, newly investing in the production of chips in China for the next decade and at the same time they're required to be part of the u.s r&d projects uh, and share excess profit which means we will the south korean companies will have to uh, share information regarding research and development yeah. right and regarding the details trade minister An said the industry is highly volatile and so issues related to demanding excessive information or uh, putting any restrictions in regards to the south korean chip maker uh, production and manufacturing China may cause serious problems in the future. So because this will be a huge concern, uh, in particular for South Korea's two uh, world's leading memory chip makers, Samsung Electronics and SK Hynix, as they have significant semiconductor manufacturing operations in China, uh, he said that he will do all he can to make sure that all this is reflected in the new act. And also the concerns were outspokenly expressed by the U.S. Undersecretary of Commerce for Industry and Se uh, Security because he earlier said the South Korean firms will likely face limitations in their growth in the chip industry uh, to certain levels in China under this new U.S. act. Well, he also added the Korean chip makers will likely be asked to limit the level of advanced semiconductors they produce in China. And once again, An made reassuring comments to the reporters in Washington, saying that the government will try to be as reasonable as possible and work to explain South Korea's business conditions in China as th thoroughly as possible to create as much safety net as possible. So... We've talked in really extensively about uh, the, the the problems with the Inflation Reduction Act. Now we're going to have to talk about the Chips Act, right? And so, I mean, we're talking about the years and years of development and research being done for the semiconductor technology from the South Korean companies. And then you have now the United States stepping in and saying, listen, if you want to get subsidies, you're going to have to share some of those informations with us. It doesn't sound like a fair deal here. Uh, and we're hoping we mentioned that uh, in the uh, so far during the Biden administration, there's been two state visits. And the, the first one was by French President Emmanuel Macron. Uh, Emmanuel Macron has used his time for that state visit to really kind of get to Biden and say, listen, that Inflation Reduction Act is not fair for any of the EU car makers out there. There's been, and uh, we're not happy, do something about it. And then of course, that's when uh, Biden came out and said, oh, well, there might be some glitches with the, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. And hopefully uh, in the, uh, South Korea-U.S. summit slated over in Washington next month. Uh, hopefully, President Yoon suk could mention a thing or two about the CHIPS Act as well as the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, let's move on this time over to Europe. The European Commission is set to unveil draft proposals uh, related to the Green Deal Industrial Plan next week. Uh, so what's expected in those plans and uh, what effects can, we, uh, can they have on South Korea? Well, we're looking at two acts, the Net Zero Industry Act and the Critical Raw Materials Act. The European Commission is expected to unveil these plans on March 14th. Uh, that would be next Tuesday, if I'm correct. Uh, and uh, those are part of the Green Deal Industrial Plan that uh, aims to enhance the competitiveness of Europe's net zero industry, as well as support the fast transition towards achieving climate neutrality. Uh, 
while the announcement is expected next week, there are already leaked information uh, by uh, leaked proposals mm-hmm. uh, that revealed, uh, starting with the Net Zero Industry Act, its goal is to bolster European production capabilities for renewable energy technologies to compete with the U.S.'s green subsidy package. Clean tech objectives for 2030 are expected to be laid out with a focus on investment on strategic projects throughout the supply chain. It's basically a response to the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, which subsidizes production and sales of U.S.-made electric vehicles and other technologies. Now, the other act is the Critical Raw Materials Act, another act that should help in the competition with the U.S. IRA, and uh, as well as in uh, helping in lowering its dependency on materials from China, so Europe's dependency on China. The act is to include goals and targeted market measures for 2030 that will provide a corresponding incentive for new investments that build up sustainable European raw material supply chains. As the EU looks to expand its domestic manufacturing of batteries, solar panels, permanent magnets, and other clean technology, demand for basic metals, battery components, rare earths, and more will climb sharply. Without a firm strategy for guaranteeing its own supply, however, Europe will fall behind China and the U.S. So um, in a little more of the details that uh, were included in the leaked version of the draft is that the EU Commission is looking to adopt targets of 10 to 40 percent of the mining, recycling and processing of critical raw materials used in the EU bloc to be initiated by the EU by 2030 to increase EU autonomy. All right. So then then the big question is, what does all of this mean for Korea then? Right. So for Korea, this could be some opportunities, but also some concerns. First off, on the positive side, Korea can seek a bigger presence in key industries such as EV batteries and oh. make new partnerships following the EU Green Deal. Uh, and as I said, demand in batteries is increasing in Europe. And all three Korean battery firms, Samsung, SDI, LG, Energy Solution, and SDI, on have entered the market there. Experts predict it can become easier to gain permissions or subsidies. But on the other hand, there are also concerns as one of the EU's goals is to break away from Chinese products and Korea is dependent on raw materials from China, which could become targets to EU restrictions. Uh, So we will have to wait and see what this all means. Uh, And uh, I guess many um, businesses and the Korean government will have to put their heads together to make these um, uh, laws uh, affect Korea in a positive way. But in related news, uh, Seoul's foreign ministry said this Thursday that an official at the EU assured that the recent EU-led carbon border adjustment mechanism and the Critical Raw Materials Act won't be applied in a way that discriminates companies from other countries. Uh, This has been said during a Korea-EU joint committee meeting in Brussels on Wednesday local time, where Seoul had conveyed its stance on that these legislations should be enacted in a way that reflects the position of the Korean government and also the norms of the Korea-EU FTA and the World Trade Organization. 
All right, uh, let's move on here. Uh, there's been a, a the slew... World Trade Agency, that is. World Trade Agency. Yes. Uh, there's been a slew of hearings uh, amongst the, uh, the monetary committees and so forth uh, over in the United States. Uh, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell uh, continued to express the Fed's determination to continue its hawkish stance on monetary measures, also cautioning that interest rate hikes may head higher than the policymakers had initially expected here, uh, which definitely would affect us here in South Korea. Chi, you have more on this. Right. So Fed Chair Jerome Powell said that officials have not yet made a call on the exact size of the rate increase. They're almost certain to deliver uh, at their upcoming policy meeting at later in later March. And explaining that they were not on a preset path, uh, he went on to say that as part of the testimony on the economy and monetary policy to the House yesterday, that upcoming data will help determine whether a 25 basis point or 50 basis point rate rise will be needed at the officials gathering next time. Now, meanwhile, Wall Street predictions expect the final interest rate in the U.S. this year may reach 6% even. And the recent comments were uh, Powell's first since inflation uh, since inflation unexpectedly jumped in January and he marked that the disinflationary disfl- process was in place back in February. Uh, senators responded with a series of questions and also uh, pointed criticism around whether the Fed was actually diagnosing this inflation problem correctly and if price pressures could be tamed without significant damage to uh, economic growth and job market, which are the biggest concerns of further raising the interest rate. Uh, interest type interest rates. Now, in the meantime, uh, Kristalina Georgieva, the IMF's managing director, told CNN that it's essential that policymakers don't ease up on interest rate hikes prematurely so that prices soar again. And the prospect of more aggressive rate hikes comes as the stock market has been pulling an exact uh, opposite direction between strong corporate earnings as well as Fed's hawkish stance. But that balance uh, looks to tip against stocks. And this, of course, was reflected in South Korea's stock market as well, which dipped from its five consecutive days of increase. Yeah, and notice now that, uh, so initially, I think what it was is that in the next uh, FOMC meeting, which is slated for March 21st to the 22nd, that the policymakers would probably follow with what they did with the last FOMC meeting, which was a 25 basis point hike. But now, according to what just kind of judging by what uh, Jerome Powell said, now a lot of the economists are saying, well, are you guys going for another uh, 50 basis point hike? But I think uh, Jerome Powell did come out um, during the second day of the hearing that they, they didn't set any kind of pace, a size of the, the, the increase for the next rate hike in March uh, 21st and 22nd. You just have to uh, wait on it. But it's it's interesting the way that they're basing on this because they're saying that they got the recent economic data that came in, which came out stronger than they had expected. And so because the economic data is so strong that they're afraid that the inflation is going to continue to go up. And so one of the things that uh, was uh, Jerome Powell was grilled at was by uh, one of the senators Oh, boy, was he from? I think he was a uh, representative, a senator from Louisiana, I think it was, um, John Kennedy. He was saying, are you trying to push for uh, trying to increase unemployment in the United States was what he was saying, because the, the higher the interest rates go up, you're also going to see a lot of employment unemployment figures, but continue to say no. 
That's not the thing. Our number one goal right now is to quell the inflation. And of course, uh, Kristalina Georgieva is saying the same thing. She's basically going, you know, to uh, what's, what's his name? Uh, Jerome Paul. You're on the right path. Continue to do this. Uh, U.S. and European countries, your central banks there, continue to raise hikes. And next thing you know, uh, U.S. is going to have something like 6% interest rate, uh, whereas South Korea the gap is going to increase even further and what do you see you're going to see a much stronger us dollar once again and already the us dollar is getting stronger and stronger right now let's uh, move on here to some domestic news uh wildfire in gyeongsangnam province's county of hapcheon uh this was fortunately brought under control earlier this morning uh fortunately no casualties in the incident so well, let's get a rundown of what exactly happened there right so it 20 hours after the fire started on Wednesday around 2 p.m. on a hill in Gyeongsangnam-do province's Hapcheon County near Yongjumyeon Wolpyeongni, the fire was put under control. That's around 355 kilometers southeast of the capital Seoul. Uh, an official in charge said the main fire was extinguished around 10 a.m. this morning. Thankfully, no one was hurt. There was no property damage. However, 163 hectares of forest area was damaged. And to put this into perspective, that's around 228 football fields. Uh, according to the Korea Forest Service, strong winds led to a quick mm. spread because uh, I believe just around 10 minutes after the first um, reports were made on uh, about the fire, already helicopters were at the site, but already 30 hectares, more than 30 hectares uh, were burned just uh, 10 minutes after. So uh, that was especially as uh, the uh, there was a, a dry weather alert and then with winds blowing at uh, up to 12 meters per second, uh, this has led to this fast spread of the fire. Uh, but then uh, at night, uh, the wind speed had reduced quite a lot and that's why uh, as of this morning uh, most of it could be extinguished now 214 people had to evacuate on wednesday from six villages but they all returned this morning close to 3,000 personnel and over 150 equipment were used in the past two days to quit the wildfire uh, and still 10 helicopters and 830 staff were said to remain on standby in case flames break out again uh, meanwhile the cause is under investigation but it's not being ruled out that this could be a man-made fire. I mean, you know, we've been seeing a number of wildfires uh, happen this uh, so far in this early spring. It has it, South Korea is going through a drought. I know there was some rain in the forecast. I think earlier today, just rained barely. I think uh, not enough. Mm. And uh, you know, usually springs mean showers, and uh, it's been uh, it's been very dry these days. Uh, we're going to continue on this time. Uh, talk about uh, something that we talked about extensively uh, on our program this week. Uh, we're talking about the ruling PPP uh, electing their uh, new leader. This is, of course, Kim Gi-hun, uh, who, of course, uh, is long been considered as uh, President Yoon Suk-yeol's man. Mm -hmm. uh, he is the new chairman of the PPP after winning more than 50% of the total votes, uh, which came as a surprise to some people. I think some people are saying maybe there might have been a runoff, right? And they said maybe it might be a runoff between Kim Gi-hun and Ai Chul-su. And I think that they were also saying that uh, uh, Chan ah might have been a dark horse in this race as well. But nevertheless, Kim Gi-hun is the PPP chairman. Uh, let's take a look at what are some of the tasks that are laid in front of him and the response from the main opposition party. Gee, you have more on this. Right. So upon winning the vote with an all-time high voter turnout of over 55 percent, the new chairperson of the ruling PR 
People Power Party Kim Gi-hyun said he will make an inclusive party serving great leaders in the party and uh, uniting and achieving an overwhelming victory in the upcoming general election uh, slated for next year. Now, although Kim called for unity within the party, pundits say the new chairman will not be able to ignore uh, being influenced by the presidential office uh, in nominating figures outside of the pro-Yun faction for next year. Year's, uh, election. And in this case, what they're worrying about is that the momentum to become a majority party may be weakened. And another task for Kim is to resolve the party's standoff with the main opposition Democratic Party and gaining political leverage in the National Assembly, which is currently dominated by the opposition party. So currently, uh, the, the Democratic Party holds 169 out of 299 seats, which is a lot more than half the total seats. Now, Kim said during a press conference after being elected that he'll meet leaders of opposition parties in including uh, DPK's chairman Lee Jae-myung as soon as possible and uh, seek their opinions for bipartisan cooperation to together take care of the public's livelihood. Now, meanwhile, chairman Lee Jae-myung uh, congratulated Kim on his new leadership and asked him to compete with the opposition party for the betterment of the livelihoods of the people together. And also President Yoon Seok-yeol plans to meet with the new leaders of the ruling People Power Party uh, and Kim Gi-yeon will, of course, will be invited along with other members of the new leadership in order to discuss expected, which is expected to uh, focus on how to push the president's agenda and also how to win next year's general elections. Also, as early as next week, there will be regular meetings being involved uh, with senior officials from not only the party, but also the government and presidential office with the new leadership and also Establishing regular meetings between President Yoon and Kim are also under consideration. Let's uh, move on to a very important issue uh, in the society these days. Has been, well, I mean, the thing is, this has been a problem for years and years and years, uh, but it's actually emerged quite a bit again as the hot potato, which I think again has to do with. That drama that everyone's been talking about, uh, the glory, I think that's what it's called. Uh, we're talking about school bullying. Uh, the government is considering to toughen related measures on this front. So you have more on this. Yes, Korea's education ministry is planning to strengthen school bullying prevention measures and is also looking for stronger punishments for the bullies. What's currently being reviewed is a longer preservation of records that state students' violent acts uh, longer than now and also make records be reflected in college entrance exams. Now, this comes on the back of, of course, also the popular drama that you just mentioned, SJ, mm -hmm. but also recent revelations of a probe into abuses by the son of attorney Jong Sun-shin who had a history of school violence his son but entered a South Korea a South Korea's most elite Seoul National University uh, Jong was appointed as the chief of the National Investigation Headquarters but stepped down just the day after from his position uh, after his son's bullying case came to light so this is just some background but now details on the education ministry's plans uh, uh, but first uh, also um, in the meantime the police this Thursday has begun investigating 
investigations into Tong being suspected of trying to hide his son's violence at school uh, during verification processes for his spot as the head of the National Investigation Headquarters. So uh, that was uh, some background on the latest big issue related to bullying at schools. Uh, and following this incident, there were calls on enforcing stronger laws to root out violence at schools. So now, uh, going to the details on the education ministry's plans. So as I said, uh, they are trying to um, lengthen, extend the um, retention period for students' uh, records of school uh, violation. And uh, it's, uh, I don't know if you guys know that it's pretty short. It's two years. Uh, mm -hmm. It depends yeah. uh, on, uh, back in 2012, uh, for ele elementary and high school students, the record stayed for five years. Mm -hmm. And then for high school students, uh, in 2000, uh, it was 10 years. Mm -hmm. But then in 2013, it got reduced to five years. And then in 2014, it was reduced to two years, as you yeah. said, SJ. And now, I don't know why they actually reduced that. Well, the argument, I think, yeah. was is that, like, kids, when they're young and, Can you know, they, yeah, and they, they don't know what to mm -hmm. do. Like, they're, they're immature, and so they'll make some mistake. And then because of their mistake from when they were a kid, um, and, you know, mind you, they could be bullying could come in a very different matter, right? Yeah. If it was like literally like, uh, it doesn't have to be severe, right? Mm -hmm. If it just like, if it was categorized as school bullying because, I don't know, you know, he picked on him for something, you know, you know said he looks like somebody, blah, 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 mm -hmm. how you smell, he's still considered bullying uh, to an extent. And so to give him 10 years for that, uh, when he was a young kid that didn't know anything, they were saying it might have been a little bit too much, so mm -hmm. like two years. But not to say I agree with that. Mm -hmm. I think that was the argument that was Back put in there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, now the consensus is that they uh, this should be uh, lengthened, and uh, the education ministry submitted a related plan to the National Assembly this Thursday. It also includes uh, plans to separate the um, perpetrators and the victims, because mm -hmm. right now there's only a rule that says they have to be separated for three days. But I don't mm. think that this is enough. And I guess the education also ministry thinks it's not enough. And yes, uh, other related um, laws are expected to be reviewed uh, pretty soon. I don't know how things are in the U.S., but like we have something called the, the permanent files. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you make you know, one bad mistake. Uh, it remains in your permanent file from like elementary all the way to middle school and high school. And then uh, I remember when I was in middle school, this uh, classmate of mine, he stole, you know, back in the days, mouses, he used to have balls in it. Uh -huh. Now it's everything is optical mouses, right? Or like it's mm. those little. I remember. Yeah, yeah. So like he stole those for fun. And then like, you know, he got caught with it and he got into an elite high school. But because that was put in his permanent record, uh -huh. He was eventually rejected after being accepted into that high school. So, I mean, they have things like that where now kids are going to be very cautious with their actions. But when you put limitations in how long these uh, the, the files are lasting, two years, I mean, that's like Jenga says, two years, they're still kids. Um, but there are arguments in regards to this. Mm, and actually, I haven't been mentioning all those actual harsh violations we're talking about here yeah. but they can be really harsh and recently that's been portrayed in the drama that we saw which is real violence and those 
I can't watch it. Yeah. Mm. And those kids probably know that that is a violent act and that should really be punished in a stronger way. Right. And I, I'm also a very strong believer of the fact that um, childhood behavior and attitude could be great reference for how they are like as they're Later adults. On, yeah. mm. Again, um, it's the case with uh, Chang Sun Shin's son was a, a very good example of, again, the victim not being able to bounce back from his trauma. Uh, where he sees, you know, basically his the perpetrator uh, going to South Korea's biggest, uh, the mm -hmm. most elite university. And so, obviously, not fair there. Let's talk baseball. Uh, there was a lot of angry people in the office today. Including uh, SJ. No, not myself, because I've been saying the whole time that, like, this team is not that good. I don't know why people think it's, like, the best team. Uh. But still, it was... I didn't think that we were going to lose-lose. I thought it was going to be a tough win, but mm. South Korea lost to Australia 8-2 at the first World Baseball Classic game. This at the Tokyo Dome earlier today. Uh, this means that the match against Japan tomorrow is going to be a must-win situation, but that's going to be tough. Chi, let's get the summary of the results of today's game. Right. So I'm sure you know baseball a lot more than me, but just to briefly uh, explain how they lost, Australia upset South Korea by a close 8-7 to in their opener at this tournament today, which was held in Japan. The starter was Ko Young-pyo, who allowed two runs on four hits, uh, and then there were four strikeouts in the four and a third innings, and they were struggling against these Australian players and now to achieve its objective of this championship tournament uh, which is to go to the semifinals and if they do this will be the first in 14 years well to achieve that goal Team Korea will have to uh, put the to put today's result behind as soon as possible and hope to win against uh, Japan, which is coming up this Friday. That's tomorrow, uh, 7 p.m. at Tokyo Dome. Now, the top two teams from Pool B, which consists of South Korea, Japan, Australia, China, and the Czech Republic, will advance to the single elimination bracket uh, with the top two from the other three pools. Yes, yeah, so I mean, South Korea is thinking you know, they'll beat Australia, hopefully finish second place because they said the consensus is they weren't going to beat Japan. But now that they lost to uh, Australia, it's a must-win situation. In fact, a lot of people are basically saying, I was going to watch Korea versus Japan tomorrow, but I'm just going to watch season two of The Glory is what they're saying now. <laughs> it's, it's a shame. All right, guys, thank you very much for your reports today. Please stay safe. We'll see you guys again. Thank you. Thank see you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.